From Orange County, California, you are listening to Taking Flight with Captain Michael Rocket Blackstone. That almost sounds like a fake name. Maybe Marvel's next superhero? Might want to check into that. This is a different type of aviation podcast that is not hosted by a tech geek know-it-all or communist sympathizing wacko, no. Lucky for you, I am your host. With over 30 years and 30,000 hours of flying high-performance aircraft all over the world, 21 years at a major airline, and with over 25 years in the extremely challenging flying business, I hope to become your personal coach to get you started in your career in aviation as a pilot and to help you identify and survive this industry's many pitfalls and booby traps along the way. This podcast is my personal commitment to helping you succeed in making your dreams of flying for a living or as a hobby come true. We're trying to avoid that happening to your career because that's got to hurt. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone, episode 16 today. And uh, in this episode, I'm super excited. I had an opportunity to fly something totally new and different uh, from anything that I had ever flown before. And I've flown a lot of cool planes, but I seem to have missed this this new amazing machine called a Cirrus, uh, SR-22 series. It's made out of carbon fiber and it, it came online at, uh, around 2001. So it was kind of new when I was starting up my, my business with my pits. I was heavy into aerobatics and uh, there wasn't really anything like this going on at, uh, in the composite world when I was uh, beginning to do that whole business. And, and this Cirrus kind of snuck into the, the market without my noticing it. And I ended up getting a chance yesterday to go for a flight in an SR-22 for the first time with someone who has 4,000 hours in this thing. Thank you, Michael, for taking me up in your SR-22 uh, aircraft. I believe his is the more latest ones uh, from after 2013. They call them Gen five uh series i'm not super familiar on all the different gens but uh generations of these aircraft but my first experience was quite epic and i'm going to give you a a rundown uh from my perspective having never flown one before as to what flying this machine was like so uh for the next few minutes i'm going to go through some of the, the specs and stats on this thing and from a pilot's perspective what it was like for me to fly one with all these years behind me of flying pretty conventional aircraft, you know, with steam gauges, uh, some glass, uh, some partial glass, like the 757, uh, 767, and even the, the, the new modern next generation Boeing 737-800 series, which I fly uh, for the airlines. This thing is totally different and uh, a lot more like my Boeing 73 and going completely away from what the 75 was there are no steam gauges in this airplane at all and uh, at first I was like well you know am I going to miss those gauges and uh, the answer is no you're not going to miss them it's got this incredible uh, two two flight displays uh, a PFD the the primary flight display and an MFD which is a multifunction display either screen can show 
the same or both uh, different different graphical displays. So on the left side, the way it primarily flies is with the the attitude indicator and the nav uh, nav situation is lined up on the right screen, but you can use the right screen during the engine start to to monitor the engine instruments which are there. You can get to all these screens very easily through Cirrus's uh, integrated, what do they call this thing? They call it the, uh, the Cirrus like experience or something like that. I, it's an incredible interface that, that allows the, they call it the Cirrus Perspective uh, avionics by Garmin. So it's essentially a G1000 unit, if you've seen that, but they've integrated it with their own way to control the G1000 from the center console. And my first flight in this thing last night was, uh, was flying it from the left seat on a about a 50 mile run and this thing is fast uh i was able to to get in speeds in the 180 190 knot range and it moves it climbs well it handles well and this display setup and how easy it was to to adapt to it so it, it kind of feels like a 7.3 and it kind of feels like the way the like maybe a little marchetti flies a little sporty racy thing with the side stick on it, so it feels like a stick, but it but it acts like a yoke. They're calling it in the industry as a side yoke, but I kind of like it as a side stick. I think that's that's a little bit cooler. Um, three bladed Hartzell propeller, a O I O five fifty Continental engine, um, which is is incredible. And the other thing I loved about it was its. Fadec, and I always thought that was kind of a an interesting concept. I had never actually flown one, and it's actually quite simple, and there's no propeller control. So you've got this big three-bladed Hartzell composite prop out there uh, whirling along, and, and it goes right to the maximum RPM on takeoff, which in this aircraft, I believe, is 2,700 RPM. But then you can't roll back the RPM. It just is monitored by this this single uh, power lever in the center in the center console. So you can fly this airplane from either seat. It's got a, a side stick on the right and a side stick on the left, but it's prim- it's primarily designed to be flown from the left seat. So you've got this FADEC situation, but it measures the power in percent. So it's that kind of feels more like a jet. So when when I flew it for the first time, you you fly it like you're going to fly a piston airplane, but you manage it like you're going to fly a jet. And I love the the, the blend of the two in such a cool way. Uh, the, the the steering on it was quite interesting. It, it has a, a free castering nose wheel, and it reminded me a little bit of my Beach 18, how we have to use differential braking as you taxi and carry a little power and drag a brake. So I like a steerable nose wheel, and it is very controllable and steerable, but it's free castering. I I believe they do this for maintenance issues and uh, make it actually easier to to maintain. It has these things called Behringer brakes, which I believe are a, a, a British design brake. They work amazingly well. If you look into the wheel pants on this thing, you'll see these, these red alloy-looking uh, wheels and the brakes, I believe, are integrated into that wheel, and they work really well. So, so it handles the the 
the braking, which it needs a, kind of a lot of to help it steer because we can't use differential power on it because it's a single and it's only on the front. So you have to use differential braking to to steer it. But once you're once you're going along and uh, and, tr- and tracking down the center line of the runway or whatever, it's it's very easy to control. And once you get some speed on it, it, it the rudder works beautifully. So uh, so I didn't really think too much about the nose wheel steering once I got in the air and, and, and made a nice landing in this thing. I was kind of pleased with the steering. It's adequate. It does the job. Where this plane is really revolutionary and really shining is in the cockpit. Uh, once I got comfortable with with how to navigate through the pages and really just the, the easiest thing to do if you're first getting into a Cirrus, if you've never flown one before and you've got some time and some other types is to get into the the Cirrus manual. And I bought the Cirrus manual online before I, before I came in. I think it's 49 bucks. You can find it, uh, on, I think it's Apple, Apple books. I believe you can buy this, the manual for it. And that kind of gets you up to speed on the aircraft. It's nearly all composite. It has fixed landing gear, but it goes 190 knots. And uh, I think it's, it's advertised in the 180. Let me see what it is. You're on, uh, online it's advertising a speed of cruise speed 183 knots and uh, we were able to, to to get that easily uh which is at 212 miles per hour which is just smoking it uh has a range of literally a, a thousand and 49 nautical miles and a service ceiling of 17,500 i mean this thing's crazy it's not pressurized so you have to wear oxygen up at altitude but you can go high to take advantage of the thinner air and and get some uh get some better efficiency out of it and 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 get over mountains and things like that so you can definitely go higher you just got to wear oxygen it has that that setup completely built in to the airframe uh where do where else can i go with this thing the there's so many amazing features. Another great feature, air conditioning. In the, in the forward panel to the right, you'll find a, a blower knob and a, and, a, and, a, and a temperature knob that you can control the temperature. Air conditioning and heating like you have in your car. Incredible um, to have that in a, in a piston airplane um, that you can make your, your summers comfortable. And if it's cool in the winter, you can turn on a little heat or you just blow some vent if you don't want any uh, of either of those, just want some airflow, you can easily control the temperature in the cabin quite well. The doors that gull wing out look really great. They close really easily. You can get in and out of the aircraft easily without the door closing on you. It's They pop up and and don't blow shut with the wind. At least that, that I was, that wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't an issue for me at all. Easy to close and latch on the first try. Uh, it just really, really made me feel comfortable really fast. And the seats are comfortable. The, uh, I use the Bose uh, A20 headset, plugs in in the center console. It has the ability to power this Bose headset in there. I don't know if that was a, a mod that, that my friend had put in his, but it had plugs for normal bo- normal like David Clark style. And Bose, of course, can plug into those and you can control the volume as well as as, as cut the sound down or or, or or it, it noise cancels. So the plane isn't very loud. So I was, I was really happy with the Bose noise canceling A20 headset in this aircraft. And I didn't think too much about the, the sound level. Once even once we got going even that fast, it's, it's fairly quiet inside 
and the radios sound incredible. All of the radios are tuned in the straight from the center console, and you know you're listening to the tower frequency, and they give you the, the departure frequency, and it's simple. You just press the com button, and the the number pad lights up, and you put in your next number, and hit the flip button, and and up it comes. To the to, it tunes it remotely from that center console, which is a beautiful, beautiful concept and beautiful, uh, uh, really execution and the way that they've they've managed to to get this to to integrate the the right below his his center PFD below there's the the standby instruments and his are all electronic ones. It doesn't have some of them have the that I've seen in some pictures online here now is the. The steam gauges, they've got a couple of, of standby gauges where you'd have an attitude indicator in the center. To the right, you'd have the an altimeter, and to the left, an airspeed. He's got the fully integrated uh, IFDS, the standby uh, gauges below his his full PFD screen in case, it, in case one of them were to fail. Well, speaking of that, you think, oh my God, what about all these 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 amazing screens? What if I were to lose electrical power? And Cirrus had thought about all of this and incorporated not one, but two batteries. You've got battery one uh, for the left side, I believe, battery two for the right side. You've got alternator one and alternator two, dual batteries, dual alternators, 28 volt system, and the ability and and also a standby battery to power everything should both of those fail you could still manage to get this thing to be on battery and 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 have 30 minutes of battery life to come down like an airliner that redundancy in a general aviation airplane is pretty much unheard of i've never flown an airplane with dual battery and dual alternators um the another amazing feature is i'm looking through the the photos of this thing online uh, the nav, the nav package is incredible. And if you've ever used any Garmin's at all and uh, have any idea of, about Garmin logic and how they, they, you step through, you know, menus and pages, this is much more easy to navigate. I'm not saying that I'm fully comfortable with it just yet, but I'm, I'm far more comfortable with it on my first mission than I thought I would be. And I love the, the the display is beautiful and big and uh, easy to dim and easy to control. And you just press the flight plan button and dial in the, the fixes that you need right off of four flight. So if you're if you're relatively getting used to four flight and the Garmin packages, either 530s, 430s, that's usually a, a pretty common setup for Garmin's or 750s now with the touchscreens. Switching to this isn't that hard. And once you come to this type of setup, you won't want to go back. It's it's that cool. So uh, thoroughly impressed with the with the the Cirrus product. Uh, I'm 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 really really excited about it. The uh, the variant that I flew was the non turbo version, the SR22. Like I was saying, the the I believe it's the fifth fifth gen. I don't believe they had a fourth gen, according to to online Wikipedia. But uh, there's a turbo version, which will like a normalized turbo so it can go higher and maintain sea level pressure to uh, pretty high altitudes. Let me see how high they're, they're calling for it. I believe it's like 20,000 20, feet or something. So if you need that high altitude capability, great. But I was totally impressed with the non-turbo version. 
it gets up quick. It climbs at really, really nice, uh, like 1,500 feet a minute. Let's see what they're calling for in here. Climb rate at yeah, 1270. So not quite 1500 feet a minute. And if you want a nice cruise climb, about 900 to 1000 feet a minute is, is comfortable and it'll climb at 130 knots in the climb and just just do the job. My first landing in it, coming in for a landing, I shot an ILS approaching it, uh, set it up. It was effortless to set it up and uh, track the localizer inbound. It's got this amazing 3D looking boxes that come up to to like to vertical nav you down to let you know uh, where you are along the the vertical path, which is something I'd never seen before. It's a little little busy on the screen, and I'm not sure how to how to really turn it off. But I kind of want to get used to it, and I liked it, and it was just good good situational awareness. There's so much on that screen that that you'll get used to, and and that's that ability to see terrain obstacles, traffic. It's got beautiful traffic displays, not only in a, a TCAS looking where the traffic is relative to you in the relative altitudes, but almost like a 3D traffic out in front of you. You can see where they are relative to the horizon on the PFD, which I had never seen before on any other aircraft. So traffic was easy to spot and the, the, uh, and and use the, it was effortless to find traffic and to see the relative altitudes and distances, as well as airspace, blocks of airspace around the LA area. You could see, you know, the, 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 uh, the Bravo airspace around LA, all of these things, just incredible. The, the briefing that I got from, from my, my buddy who's got 4,000 hours in this thing, was really, really nice. You know, I said, you know, follow the checklist. Just there's, there's great checklists in that manual that I bought online. Follow the checklist, go slow through it and, and be diligent with how you, how you, you stick with that while you're getting used to the aircraft. Of course, being an airline pilot, I always use the checklist. It's a little cumbersome using the, the POH. I, I would love to consolidate it to, to more of a, of a, of a flip card style. And, and of course, stick with the, the manufacturer's checklist, but just an easier format to to find the before starting engine checklist and the uh, after engine start checklist and then the take you know the takeoff checklist and the climb cruise descent I I like them all on their own little cardstock or, or flipping cardstock but other than that stick with the checklist get through it and set the airplane up the way it needs to be set up this airplane's got a beautiful built-in weight and balance display so you it won't even let you add the flight plan until you do it from what I understand. So you follow the checklist, you get to that part where it says enter the weight and balance data. You open the weight and balance page. You put in the weights of the passengers and the pilots and the, and the the cargo and the, uh, and the fuel. And then you can, you, you fill those boxes and then the, the, the plane says, Oh, okay, you're good. Now you're good. Good to go on to the next step. So it's much, it's much more like an airliner again with, with the general aviation world that we live in, and the the world where pilots are going to the airlines and to the regionals and so on, this airplane really gets them prepped for that. And I really appreciated all of the thought and design that that was put into this aircraft. The uh, the only thing that I oh the the next thing the, in the brief the they call it the Cirrus airframe parachute system, better known as the plane with the parachute, as people learn to to know. Uh, I love it. It's it's cool, and and when you think about what what Cirrus has done to 
to allow for this. They've, they've mounted a rocket-powered parachute behind the aft seats that in the event of a total engine loss over a place that can't be salvaged for a landing, like over the Rocky Mountains, let's say, and uh, you lose the engine at the worst possible time, like on takeoff, but you're above 600 feet. And if you, they say if you're between 600 and 2,000, you're kind of in what they call the caps range, the caps window. And if you lost an engine below 600, well, you just do it like a normal airplane does. You just, you know, land straight ahead, lower the nose and make a landing straight ahead on whatever, whatever soft or flat surface you could find. Get above 600 feet. Now you're into this caps window where you have enough altitude to deploy this thing safely. And what it does is it punches a hole through the back of the, of the uh, carbon fiber fuselage empennage area and it's designed to break away like that so it doesn't hurt the airplane. It, 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 it opens up a door essentially through the skin, through the paint, and punches this, this, this hole through the airplane that allows it to deploy and opens up some side fuselage straps. And it literally grabs the airplane by its center of gravity and deploys this massive chute and descends the aircraft to a, they, I love how they say it's a relatively soft landing. So get ready for a nice firm landing apparently, but but you'll survive it. The plane would survive it. And uh, it is, it's, it's an added safety feature. Now, I'm, a, I'm an aerobatics guy. So for me, it's like, oh, well, you know, what if we get upside down? I'm going to deploy the chute. Like, actually, if you're an aerobatic pilot, you would never want to deploy the chute from, a, a, from a, a maneuver. But I like the idea that It'll fly like a regular airplane. You can recover from anything that 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 happens to you with the controls. It has a oh another thing the magic blue button the wing leveler. If things start to get crazy and the uh, pilot was incapacitated and the plane went through awake turbulence or whatever worst case scenario and the person in the right seat noticed that there was no other way to straighten the plane out and they didn't know what to do they could press this this little blue button near the autopilot uh console area and it will straighten the plane out and get it get it upright like a they call it the magic blue button i think that's what it's it's referred to by those that are familiar with the thing i like that that's cool with some aerobatic experience yeah maybe you wouldn't need that feature but failing an aerobatic pilot, if they didn't have one or somebody wasn't sure what to do, that would straighten the plane out. I love that. That was really well thought out. And Cirrus has actually gone as far as starting to, to be the leader in auto land capability so the airplane can return to an airport safely. This one doesn't have that feature, but I believe that's that's something that's coming into future generations of the Cirrus and, and possibly uh, the next generation of the uh, the Cirrus line, which is, I think they're going into jets now. So what an awesome airplane. The parachute's totally cool and available if you needed it. If you lost an engine and you're going into the trees or you're going into someplace that's not so great and you had no other option, what a great safety feature to have. Cirrus really, really did a good job. As I look at this thing, they, they're saying it's a utility aircraft um, standard category. It's certified. They've been producing them since 2001. There's 6,100 uh, and 49, at least through the numbers from 2019. At least 6,000 of these have been made. The price point is 629,000 
$900 on uh, based on 2019 prices. That hurts a little bit, but you know, the used market's always available. So there's always airplanes available used. Uh, guys trade in, trade them in. They fly them for a few years or gals trade them in and go to a, go to a different airplane, maybe step it up to the next level up. And I don't know why you'd ever want to leave this airplane. Once you fly it, it's, it's pretty incredible. They're the SR 22 turbo model. They have got a list price here of seven twenty nine nine hundred. Uh, another hundred grand for the turbo. So I haven't flown the turbo. I uh, have another friend that has one. I may get a chance to fly that at some point. And when I do, if I see some some significant differences that are worth coming back, I'll, I, I might come back on and do another episode. But but I am just completely uh, and totally impressed with uh, what I've seen so far from Cirrus in this model. Another one more final cool thing that they've done is they've they've uh, allowed the Cirrus to be known icing capable. This one didn't have the weeping wing, but as I'm looking online, uh, I believe that the they do have models, maybe even the, super, the turbocharged ones would be the ones that have the ability to go to 25,000 feet and descending and climbing through high altitudes with any moisture at all, you'll start to pick up ice. They call it the freezing level. So what, what Cirrus has done to solve the freezing level problem is to put a uh, anti-ice, de-ice capability. Actually, it's a, more of a de-icer. It, it's a weeping wing. So it has a fluid that's that allows it to seep through the leading edge of the, of the wing through tiny, tiny, tiny little ports. And it's like an alcohol and it, it wets the wing with it and it loosens up any ice and the ice comes off. Similar to a boot, but I think this is actually a nicer method. I think it, it it's, it's slicker, it's cleaner. It doesn't require any air pressure out there, which I think is more reliable. And once it wets the wing, once you get some buildup, I think this type, you have to let it build up a while, kind of like you would do in a boot. Let it build up a while to get a nice little, little crust, a little layer on there of, of ice. And then you would deploy this this fluid and it would weep out this this uh, uh, alcohol along the full leading edge of the wing and, and shed it. Amazing. So that is... That is a huge, huge benefit to light airplane pilots. I've been flying airplanes for years. Marchetti's don't have it. None of the light twins I had had it. The first time I ended up with de-icing boots was on the Saab 340, which I talked about on an earlier episode. And that method is fantastic. Uh, If you're flying a large aircraft and you need to carry gallons and gallons and gallons of of that fluid, I could see why they don't use it on larger aircraft. And once you get get an airplane with a jet engine on it, there's enough heat coming and enough volume of heat coming out of the jet engines to heat the leading edges of the aircraft and basically take all the ice off. And again, we, we kind of do it once we start getting ice, we would use it more as a de-ice, let it build up a little bit and then take it off rather than just run around with the heated wing on all the time. Like you might think we use it actually more as a, as a de-ice rather than anti-ice. Um, on these aircraft. So super impressive. I mean, wow. I, 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 there's probably some, a ton of things that I missed to talk about. Those of you that know about this, this Cirrus, if you've flown this thing, you know what I'm talking about. If you have not flown it, I highly recommend that you do get out there, check it out, fly it, see what you think about the, all of these, the, the avionics package. I think that's the, that's definitely the coolest. The autopilot was rock solid. It goes up to altitudes and levels off. It does an altitude, beautiful altitude, altitude capture, 
and we just use vertical speed to come down. I suppose that there's other modes that I didn't try, but uh, it has a vertical nav uh, button that can allow it to do like L nav plus V, I think is the fancy GPS vertical navigation feature that it has, and it's easy to deploy. And then once you get in close, you hit the approach button on this thing, and it grabs the localizer and the glide slope and flies a beautiful coupled approach, making minor adjustments with the speed with your throttle, which it does not have an auto throttle, but it doesn't need it. S- pretty high speed on the flap deployment. I believe that this the first notch of flaps was at 150. Could I think that's about what I remember, 150 for, they call it 50% flaps. I call it half flap, 50% flaps. And then you get sub, I think it's 120. Uh, and you can go full flap and then slow to 90. And you fly your whole approach at 90, uh, 90 knots, slow to 80, 85, and then 80 over the numbers and roll off the power. My landing was a little, little wonky. It was kind of, I call it the the high flat. In other words, I, I arrested the sink a little bit early because I'd rather do that than drive the wheels through the concrete. But I rested the, the the sink just a touch early and let it settle and then flew it down. And I realized I, I had stopped the sink, you know, maybe one or two feet above the ground and added a touch of power, let it continue descending, rolled it off again and and managed to get a relatively, relatively smooth touchdown. Um, my buddy said I did okay. I think he was just trying to keep my ego from getting too crushed, but it, it wasn't firm, but it wasn't great either. His was a much better landing. Uh, what do you expect after 4,000 hours? Uh, the more you practice, the luckier you get, as they say. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, uh, I hope you've enjoyed talking about the SR22 tonight. If anybody has any questions about it or need me to to talk about anything more about the SR22, I if don't know the answer, I could call my friend. Actually, I think I'll probably bring him on here for a an interview at some point. We could talk about some of the coolest trips he's done in it, places he's gone with it, what its capabilities are. But from my perspective on my first mission, thoroughly impressed. I would love to fly it again and uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to do so. So if you have any questions again, it's taking flight with rocket at gmail.com. And as we always say, keep on flying. We'll see you next time.